Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to another episode of your Storybox podcast, where I, your esteemed host, Jay Phantom, has the utmost privilege and honor to unbox amazing stories from incredible people twice a week. I'm delighted and grateful that you're here today. Now let's dive into the story box and hear more about our guest today. We are on episode 39 of the story box. Welcome back, everybody. This week, I have a very special guest for you. Her name is Wendy L. Khoury. Now we actually did this interview a while back before the lockdown officially hit us hard. Uh, she was recommended to me by a friend of mine, Rita Agulian from Lick Your Phone. And uh, we had an amazing chat, Wendy and I, and I really, really enjoyed this one. I apologize to Wendy that it has taken me this long to actually release it, uh, but better late than never. <laughs> but this is a really good episode. And if you don't know who Wendy is, Wendy is the founder and director of Wedded Wonderland and Wonderland Media. She's one of the world's leading digital and social media pioneers, specializing in wedding, event, and lifestyle industries. She's credited for growing 20 million plus followers across client social channels, driving lead generation, event engagement, brand awareness, sourcing talent, and amplifying sales for small businesses across the globe. As a marketer, events, and content expert, Wendy has appeared and been interviewed by major news platforms such as news.com.au, Daily Mail, Cosmo Bride, Mornings 9, Studio 10, and 2GB Radio, just to name a few. She's often credited with the reinvigoration of the wedding industry and special events industry, I should say, in Australia. She is also a local and internationally renowned conference and keynote speaker. Now, what do we get talking about on this episode of the Story Box? Well, I ask Wendy lots of questions, but I, I wish I had more time to ask her more. And uh, who knows, there might be a part two one time. But Wendy and I get talking about her definition of success to start off with, which is pretty cool. Uh, growing up as an entrepreneur, so her family uh, are entrepreneurs themselves. She also had a background in education, so wanting to help people, uh, which sort of led her to becoming her own entrepreneur and starting in the wedding industry. So she, we also talk about managing stress because Wendy is more than just a business owner and entrepreneur. She is a mother of quite a few kids. I won't spoil how many she has because she mentions it in the interview, but she's an incredible lady. She has a heart of gold. 
And I got a lot of advice and a lot of knowledge from her during this interview. So I know you guys are going to love it. So more than more than just managing stress and the family dynamics uh, currently, what it was like for her to actually uh, cope with COVID-19 in the wedding industry, ha- having the entire industry pretty much being disrupted by this massive virus. And we also talk about the beginnings of Wedded Wonderland, how she actually started not knowing really what to do and figuring it out all for herself uh, with some virtual mentors, you could say, and the pressure that's involved with with starting your own business. So how you go about managing that and pleasing consumers and the market as well. She also gives us some challenges that she went through, so not just COVID uh, as well, and three bits of advice that she can give to you guys, which is quite important and quite unique that I believe everyone needs to hear. And my favorite question at the end, which is your favorite film, your favorite actor, and the last bit of advice, and the last film that you watched, sorry. Uh, So I know you guys are going to really enjoy this one. So without me going on and on and on, because I know I can, let's dive into the Storybox and hear Wendy L. Curry's story. So Wendy, welcome to the Storybox podcast. Thank you so much. What an introduction. (laughs) (laughs) I got that from your your LinkedIn page, so I hope I got all that correct. You did. It's just crazy when you hear it back. (laughs) I've had a lot of people actually say the very similar thing lately when I've read back all their their bio. It's sort of like surreal. It's it's quite funny actually. Yeah. (laughs) So absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, I do have one question before we dive into all that amazing uh, information that I just read out and how that all got started. And that question is, what is your definition of success? The definition of success is believing that you can do everything but not everything at once. Mm. So you have the opportunity, you have the knowledge, the wisdom and the understanding of recognizing what success is and you celebrate that uh, within your personal and your professional life but also understand that success comes with uh, risks, it comes with challenges, and it comes with uh, understanding and appreciating the journey rather than the final destination. Mm, that's good. And where do you think this definition of success came from? Did it change over time for you or was it just a sudden moment that you realized, oh, this is, just, this is success for me? I started uh, working at a very young age and I often was around a lot of entrepreneurs and I realized that what made them happy was the small wins of each day and what made them unhappy was setting these crazy, ridiculous goals and targets that they kind of felt like they couldn't achieve and even if they did achieve, it was always about, okay, well, what's the next big thing that I'm going to do? Mm. So I realized that um, and me being, I'm, I'm a global thinker, I, I like to see the bigger picture and I wasn't so um focused on the process and uh, I guess refining processes and refining an understanding of how to get things you know to perfection daily and how to succeed daily I was more looking at the bigger picture and I realized that I was never going to be successful that way mm-hmm. in my mind because I was constantly challenging myself for the bigger things and I was doing what the entrepreneurs around me were doing and I realized that 
I, I no longer loved the the process of each day and the small wins, and I needed to get back to the basics. So you have to appreciate the challenges that come with your business and the successes that come with your business daily and stop thinking, okay, well, when I get to making X amount of dollars, when I get to X amount of clients, that's my success. Because once you hit that goal, it's it's a huge, almost like slap in the face of, oh, Mm. what am I going to do next? And what's going to happen next in my business? And, you know, I, I, you kind of set yourself up for this success slash failure because you don't know what, what else is going to make you actually happy because you Mm. think that's going to make you happy. And it's not. So that's where that all sort of comes from. That's good. So were you surrounded by a lot of successful people when you were growing up? I I come from a family. My siblings are all entrepreneurs. Um, I am a child of of war. So we migrated to to Australia in 1985 and, you know, from a very small village in the mountains in Lebanon. And so for me, it was always about you work and you appreciate work and you take mm. every opportunity and you run with it. So a lot of my um, family members and extended family own their own businesses and are very entrepreneurial um, for that reason. They, they took every opportunity and ran with it. So, yeah, I guess I've been surrounded by it for, for mm. a long time. Wow. And for you, did you, always want to, did you always want to start your own business because your family members were doing it? Like what was – your sort of idea of purpose in your life? It's funny because my um, father always said that, you know, he just wanted us to go to school, go to university, get a good job and not own our own business because he didn't want us to struggle the way that he did. Mm. And, you know, there's five of us and we all own our own businesses. And I say to my dad, (laughs) you know, we're not going to do what you say, we're going to do what you did. Mm. And so um, it's one of those things that, you know, we just innately were taught to um, take each opportunity. I guess for me, uh, I um, in a number of roles, both in the corporate and creative world. I've had a and wanted to share with. Um, the wedding community. So I was working at a venue with a um, and at a page for the for the business, and um, within six months, eighty percent of inquiries. And so, hey, okay, well, we're getting a lot of inquiries here. We work with a lot of small businesses. Facebook pages for them. I started teaching them how to navigate what a cover photo was and. You know what posting was and what scheduling was and all those kinds of things. Which so did you always want to like be, be an entrepreneur or like what was your purpose that you decided that you wanted to do? Um, I always knew that I wanted to help people. So mm. my background's in education, and I always kind of had a knack for teaching people how to do things. Um, and I always loved business and have worked for as long as I can remember. So for me, it was. I don't think that you know that you want to be an entrepreneur. I think it's something that's just innately there and you can't avoid it and you can't ignore it. And anything that you do that is against it kind of feels, you know, like you're falling flat and that you're not fulfilling your purpose. So Mm. entrepreneurs are definitely um, uh, born, I believe. You can Mm -hmm. be taught to be a great business um, owner and manager and kind of need to harness 
all of the other things that you need to um, pick up on to be able to run a successful business as an entrepreneur. But I definitely think I was born an entrepreneur. Mm. Yeah. Fortunately and unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you say unfortunately? Oh, I just, sometimes I, I wake up and I think to myself, you know, I just wish that I didn't have so many ideas and didn't <laughs> want to take over the world and, you know, could just go and do my job and come home and, and switch off and all those kinds of things. But yeah, it's never mm. going to happen. <laughs> so do you ever get an opportunity to actually switch off, have a vacation or are you just constantly on the go? <laughs> I'm constantly on the go. That's what makes me happy. I don't really, mm. my idea of relaxing is speaking to someone about their business and giving them tips wow. on things that they need to do. I find myself, if I go to a day spa, I end up doing a social media session with the person who's giving me a facial. It's really bad. I can't, <laughs> <laughs> I can't help myself. Like, wow. what's your Instagram? And if I go to buy coffee, like they know now, I walk in there and I'm like, so you guys haven't posted in a few days and what's happening and what's your strategy for takeaway and delivery now because of coronavirus and, you know, you guys really need to pick up your game on this and blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> I just, yeah, I'm one of those people that doesn't really. <laughs> I, I think that's uh, a special talent to have because I, in, in some ways I don't switch off. Like my brain's constantly mm. going and I find myself yeah. like because I don't switch off, there's a lot of stress behind it as well because like if I don't control those ideas, if I don't write them down, then I get agitated. Yeah. Um, it, it's very, yeah. very hard for, for someone that is like constantly thinking about something else to sort of yeah. relax. Um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, but handling, mm. handling stress because I know you have quite a few businesses, you've got a lot of things going on. How do you manage your mm. stress? I think that you have to manage stress the way that you manage adrenaline mm. in a way that you know that you have a lot of energy as an entrepreneur. And for me, I need to have a release and my release is my business. So my release is seeing um, things get done. And sometimes I think a lot of stress for a business owner or a stress for a mother, um, which I am and mm. uh, is, is one of those things that comes from uh, um, not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel or not knowing, I guess, what um, hurdles that you need to overcome. So like you said, you need to write things down and you need to see all of that energy almost as adrenaline that needs a release. So um, a lot of the times I find that, you know, if I've delegated something and I haven't heard back quick enough or, you know, and I, I know the answer or I can at least work it out, then just do it. You know, I think that a lot of stress and anxiety comes from waiting on people, especially when you're a fast-paced person. Mm. Um, and it comes from um, pressure when things haven't been communicated like correctly. So I'm like an over-communicator. I'm one of those people <laughs> that send an email and then I'll call to follow up to confirm you've read the email. And then I'll, I'll send another email confirming that we've just had a phone call about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I just think that, you know, in this day and age, a lot of, Stress comes from ambiguity, but also it comes from people not having attention to detail. Mm. And, and lack so, of communication. You know, you end up, and that lack of communication where you're like, did you actually read that? Do you understand what I mean? Are we on the same page? It's all of those kinds of things. So um, I think it needs to be managed in a way where 
you are communicating and in a way where you're trying to find a resolution and you're working actively with whoever, you know, and wherever the stress is coming from to, to resolve things and to try and end the day knowing that you, you're working towards, you know, closing things off and working towards resolutions because stress can also come from coming home and, and going, I, what did I achieve today? Or oh, I could have easily fixed that, but I didn't. Mm. because I wanted to avoid it. But guess what? It's going to be there tomorrow, you know? Mm. So I think that you have to be very um, action-oriented and that's how I guess I relieve my stress and probably annoy a few people along the way because <laughs> probably stress them out. But I think it's, um, yeah, as, as a business owner, you have, you have a responsibility and a, a lot of my stress comes from not knowing what, what you know, my staff are doing and not knowing what my clients want. So mm. it's just about asking the question, mm. you know? That's good. I like that. And yeah. in terms of like when you actually first started Wedded Wonderland, how did that all come about? So I was, uh, like I said earlier, I was a wedding planner. I um, couldn't run around. I felt pregnant and I couldn't run around and do weddings of an evening mm. and over the weekends. And so I was sitting at home, four months pregnant, thinking, what am I going to do um, with my time? And so I started uh, consulting um, officially to the wedding industry in regards to social media and digital strategy. And I set up what it once on end as an example of what people should be doing online. Wow. Not knowing that by showing people, it was actually going to become a thing. So from being four months pregnant to the time I was um delivering my first child, we grew 100,000 followers on Facebook. Wow. And I was like, in the delivery suite going, it's 8 p.m. on Monday, it's peak time, I need to be sharing a post. <laughs> What's <laughs> going insane. on? I was like, I'm a crazy person. Um, but because I knew that I built a community and I owed them content because they became so fixated on what we were doing and they were so engaging and so I felt a huge responsibility then to keep up with the community in conjunction with continually educating the industry on how to do things. So we were constantly, and we still do, set trends and show people how to use different platforms within Instagram, within Facebook, within um, blog content, within newsletters, events, whatever the case may be, in order to drive the industry to understand how to do it for themselves and how to educate mm. them on the practical components of managing a business effectively online. So you, you've got... That's how it happened. Wow, that, that is absolutely incredible. And how long have you been doing it for now? So my eldest turned seven um, next week. So a bit roughly around seven so years. I started it when seven years, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and yeah. in terms of like the wedding industry itself is a massive, massive <laughs> industry. Did you know at yeah. all going into it what you were doing? No. Mm. I just knew that I had worked with quite a number of small businesses. I knew that it was a small business market. I knew that a lot of the business owners were sole traders, were mums and dads, were family oriented, um, privately owned. And so I was speaking directly to the people who had the passion, the creativity and the experience to be able to deliver, you know, one of the most important days in, in people's lives. And I wanted 
I guess, from a, from a business perspective to assist them in driving um, more leads, in driving more engagement and more interest in celebrating what they did online because I knew the audience was there. I just needed to connect the business with the consumer. And mm. that's what Wedded Wonderland is. It's almost like a portal between um, between both. So, And it has continued that way. Was there a plan? But did I know what I was doing? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually how some of the best businesses start when there's no real yeah. great, like you're just doing it for the sake of it. Um, and then just along the way, it just sort of builds up, which is amazing. Yeah. So did you have a plan behind it initially or did that sort of like start forming along the way? It's definitely, there was always a plan of, of you know, creating a platform, I guess, online where I could, like I said, celebrate what the industry was doing and and show um, couples what opportunities they had in planning their wedding. I mean, when I got married, you know, there were no – I pick up a magazine and there were no cultural weddings um, mm. being uh, um, featured, very little luxury weddings, large-scale weddings, you know, weddings of different ethnicities, backgrounds, religions. I was exposed to all of this working as a wedding planner in Western Sydney, so – for me, I was like, where is the Indian bride? They have the most incredible, mm-hmm. incredible weddings. Where, you know, where are the South Africans? Where, is, where are the Chinese weddings and the tea ceremonies? So for me, it was about really showcasing what Australian weddings truly are like. And what that did was open us up to the globe because we were showcasing, you know, these brides that, that were tied so heavily into their cultures and into their religions and into their family units and, and so it really connected us with wedding and event planners from all over the world, which was not was not a plan, but definitely is how we organically grew. Wow. And then uh, like what, yeah. what period of time was it that you actually were able to say, look, I can start turning this into something bigger than what it was turning into? Like because now it's, it's huge. Like it, it's over 600-something thousand on Instagram Facebook has probably yeah. got a lot more as well. So when was it yeah. the point where you decided, okay, I'm going to turn this into an actual business and then get staff yeah. members on board and, and actually, yeah, create like um, an actual business sense? That's what I'm sort of asking. Yeah. Um, it was probably a year in that I thought, okay, we've got so many inquiries here. Um and I need to be able to create a product that I can deliver based on what the demand of the market is. And the best position that any business can be in is when there's an over-demand, you know, for mm. your product offering. But because nobody had really done what I what I had started, I didn't know what to offer these guys, what to charge them, um, how to be able to – I mean, if you had told me, asked me what a media kit was seven years ago, I'd be like, what? Media kit? Like, what? <laughs> so – a campaign, a digital campaign, a content calendar, a content strategy. Um, you know, we were using influencers before the term influencer came about. We were mm. connecting people who had influence um, in the market and with designers and getting gowns made and sending them overseas and doing all these kinds of things six, seven years ago. And that was really unheard of. So I guess um, I realized a year in that, you know, there were so many businesses that, that needed our support and needed our platform Mm -hmm. Um, and so many consumers who were seeking them out. And so we needed to create something that was viable on both ends that 
um, essentially um, was, you know, the right price at the right time and for the right consumer mm. and continually engaging the consumer in order for the, um, the industry to be able to talk to them and vice versa. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's something that we can't switch off mm. as well at any point, um, which is a big challenge um, in business, but it's something that obviously has evolved and our product offering has evolved over time mm. um, as a result of you know, now there are quite a number of wedding publications that are online. Um, and they all, you know, serve their own purpose. We're very fortunate that we are the largest in Australia when it comes to our digital and social offering. But what that means is it's very challenging because you're no longer speaking to an audience, which is like a micro-influencer, which is, you know, Sydney-based or Melbourne-based. We are speaking to a global market. Mm. So anything that we put out there has to be at a global level, mm. which is challenging. Yeah. Does that put a lot of pressure on your back? Having have known that it is global, so there's a lot of people you've got to sort of influence or please in that market. Mm. So does that put a lot of pressure on you? It does because we're not only driving the consumer to consider certain products or services, we're driving the industry, like I said, to understand what people are responding to online in order to better um, or in order to diversify what their product offering is. So it's mm. twofold, and so there is there is that that ongoing pressure um but you know for us it's always about identifying what the product is and ensuring that we are constantly evolving our product offering to meet the, the needs of the market and you know now that i'm sitting at home i'm actually working on um a product that you know i feel like will really close the loop in terms of knowing what the consumer journey is um knowing how where um and how decisions are being made and understanding the conversion um, from a lead sales um, perspective because that's something we've never really focused on. Our focus has always been content, campaigns, events, social media, um, but we haven't really, you know, got down to the finite detail of understanding um, consumer behavior when it comes to purchasing. And we live in, we're, we're a long shelf life product. Somebody sees a wedding dress online, they're not buying it the following day. You know, they're sitting mm. on it for four to six weeks and asking the opinions of the gatekeepers within their own world um, and then proceeding with a inquiry, then potentially, you know, a, a sale at the end of that. So w- for us, we're really trying to understand um, consumer behaviours right now because that's what essentially is going to allow our business to scale, mm. you know. So even though we are so big and even though we're so well-known, um, scalability is, is a huge importance and, and trying to scale when you're servicing small businesses is very difficult. Mm. So that's my, that's my new project. Um, <laughs> and I think when, when you go into business, you're not, like I said, you're just, you're just looking, especially as, as an entrepreneur. And as Richard Branson says, if you don't have a problem to solve, you don't have a business to run, mm. you know? So for us, it's always, well, you know, what's going on what does the, what does the industry need? And now with, um, COVID-19, we've obviously had the industry shut down. Postponements take place, um, the rise of elopement, you know, the industry completely lost in terms of not having contractual um, understanding of having a pandemic, you know, all of these challenges that we're now thinking, okay, well, how can we future-proof to a certain extent what's going to happen in the next 6 to 12 to 18 months because decision-making around weddings and spend and economically is going to shift. So we need to be able to meet, meet those demands and 
be ahead of the curve to to drive the industry to understand what they need to do and also drive the consumer and give them opportunities, just like we did the day we started, so mm. <laughs> in a different environment, yeah. No doubt. And has, has um, COVID-19 been your biggest challenge so far? Um, I, I don't think that I understand that anyone really understands the full impact of COVID-19 until mm. as an industry, we're not going to understand what, what it will be for 12 to, to 18 months. Um, so from a One July Media perspective, we have a series of hospitality um, clients and that has been incredibly challenging to pivot very quickly mm. um, and introduce new product offerings, um, be able to deliver to those offerings, testing, all of those kinds of things had to happen in 24 hours. Wow. So it has, it, it has yeah, it, it's made businesses that we work with have to rethink. Um, you know, we work with, for example, a series of, of food trucks and food trucks are, you know, four or five items. Um, offerings at you know a lower price point. You come, you get up, and you go. Mm. And in order for these food trucks to remain viable, um, they've had to introduce a delivery service. They've had to set themselves up on the delivery, the, the Uber Eats. Mm. You know, we've had to come up with um, strategies on introducing new product offerings for children for dessert, or you know, a multifaceted um, uh, product. Because when you're paying for delivery, you're, you're wanting the dessert. You're wanting to feed your kids. You want, you're not just wanting a burger, for example. So um, it's been very challenging. Um, but I think that business, you know, in the long, long run will be better for it because they will be more agile and they will understand what the opportunities are because they've had to discover and explore that, you know, from that perspective. But the wedding industry, I mean, it's, it's, we set up a Facebook group uh, last week that now has 1,300 couples on it um, in a week that, it, that it have had to, cancel their weddings, postpone their weddings. We actually had a bride um, email through last night saying, you know, we managed to organize our wedding in four days and we found our photographer through the group. Thank you so oh, much for wow. setting it up and creating a safe space for us to, to talk and hear my photos and I just want to say thank you. Like that, it makes it all worthwhile, you know. Oh, definitely. <laughs> it makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. Wow. That's very challenging. Hmm. Yeah, I can't imagine what you guys must be going through in the business sense with the wedding industry and even the hospitality industry. Like it, it's a yeah. it's a crazy situation, and I've seen a lot of my friends in the hospitality industry and and in other businesses as well having to close their doors, having to work less hours as a result. And but they're like yeah. they're trying to remain as positive as they can. But then when you got like with mm. the delivery aspect, and I've been seeing this as well mm. on social media, how Uber Eats and and they charge like ludicrous percentages that they yeah. take most of it. And yeah. it's just like, how are how are these businesses meant to survive? It it raises yeah. a very, very difficult question. Like Uber, yeah. Uber Eats, you know, I mean, they probably wouldn't be able to survive without Uber Eats and vice versa. Like it's a tricky, tricky d- dilemma, but... Yeah. Look, yeah. What, what do you think, I think about right it? Now, yeah, I think right now, um, you know, I've been fighting a few fights. So on my personal page, you'll see <laughs> ever since this whole thing started, I actually started the campaign around the elderly being able to um, 
have an hour to shop early. I, I mm. was chatting with someone on a local space community group and said, you know, if there's anyone else that needs assistance, like a, um, an elderly person from the community. Um, and, uh, and a person commented, I said, you know, I wish they would give my parents an hour in the morning to shop before everyone gets there. And I thought, you know what, that's a good idea. I'm going to run with it. Mm. So I shared that post um, with a whole series of people and Celeste Barber ended up resharing it. Um, quite a few others. Um, and then within, within, I think it was 12 hours, IGA in, in Victoria actually announced they were going to do the early shop. Wow. So I think that um, there is a huge power to social media. I've been pushing the Uber Eats agenda. Mm. Um, and I think that right now businesses need to not be looking at profiting the way that they used to mm. because I think um, survival is definitely going, is, is, you know, is the most important thing right now. Mm. So I have, you know, a series, like I said, of clients who have to use Uber Eats because that's how they're keeping their staff employed, their kitchens running, mm. um, and the momentum within their business. Do I think it's a ripoff? Absolutely. And the fact that they've increased their fees, I think is absolutely disgusting. And really for our government to step up in so many different elements and say, right, um, you know, um, from a schooling perspective, from a healthcare standpoint, all of the assistance that's been given um, and the assistance that's been given, you know, um, down to employees, employers, why is it that the hospitality, hospitality market, when the only way that they can survive right now is by delivery mm-hmm. or by takeaway, and this has something that has 700,000 employees Australia-wide and is not being looked into. I know that mm. there's other priorities, but rather than look, looking at giving these businesses grants, you know, I really think that somebody needs to step in and have a very firm discussion around what is the middle ground because Uber is going to be making more money now because it's the only way people can eat out, right? Mm. So doesn't that mean that there's an economy of scale here? in terms of how busy their, their drivers are and how much money they're actually going to be making from this scenario, there certainly should be um, something, um, I guess, from a national perspective that, that, that needs to be discussed. So, But I think as a mm. hospitality business, keeping your doors open, keeping your business relevant um, and keeping your audience um, and your customers engaged is something that needs to work for survival right now. Mm. I don't think you're going to make a huge amount of money um, and, you know, there are businesses out there that now are doing, like we, we have a, a florist that we work with that have turned their floristry into a fruit and veg shop. Oh, um, wow. I was telling a friend of mine who has a small Italian restaurant um, to start doing, um, you know, deliveries of fruit boxes and veggie boxes mm. because people don't want to go out. And so you have the produce and it's sitting there, move it. Mm. Like, you know, so it's, it's things like that where I think people are going to hate the convenience now because they don't want to be going out. They don't want to be, you know, falling ill and they don't want to risk or expose their families. Mm. So if the consumer is willing to spend the convenience, then these businesses need to think about what their current product offering is and also for the next three months what they can introduce that will actually um, that is complementary, not something completely far-fetched, you know, not pulling a rabbit out of the hat, but definitely something that is complementary, that is a service 
can be delivered in conjunction with what their food service um, offering is mm. um, in order to, I guess, beef up that bottom line. Mm. It's definitely interesting times. Um, have you noticed when you first started the business that the way consumers are spending has changed a lot now compared to before? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, it's very... On so many different levels. Yeah. Mm. I think nowadays consumers are very hesitant to spend money because they don't know the state of the economy, if they're going to have a job or not, and that also impacts whether or not, you know, people are going to eat out or if they see the delivery fees as well. It's sort of like a two-edged sword. So if you go out, you're at risk of getting the virus and if you eat in, you're at risk of losing money. <laughs> so it, it's sort of like... But I think behaviorally, mm. it, it's, hard, it's very difficult to change habits. And yeah. so I think even if the one vice that we have is Uber Eats or, you know, the delivery of food, really. We're sitting at home, Netflix, you know, <laughs> TV, um, maybe jumping onto a podcast, um, maybe, <laughs> you know, Spotify, whatever the case may be. But really from a food perspective, which is such a big component of how we um, make decisions as people when we do go out, it's like, what are we eating? You mm. know, where are we going? What's in the menu? Um, so I think that it, it will come to a time where people may or may not be able to afford, you know, delivery every single day. But if they're going to be buying something, I can almost guarantee you that food is going to be at the top of the agenda as opposed to oh, yep. fashion, retail, you know, no one's booking a holiday, nothing mm. like that. So wherever people are spending their money is pretty much going to go to food. So mm. I think that there's, again, a, a huge opportunity there. Oh, definitely. So in, in yeah. terms of in terms of like when you when you first started, you mentioned something that you didn't mm. know what to charge, you didn't really know how to sort of like yeah yeah form form that factor did you have any mentors at all like sort of helped you form how much to pay how much to charge people not really to be honest <laughs> i didn't really i had i have online mentors people that i look up to that i read about i think that when you're you know doing something that hasn't been done before um even though I'm, like I said, I'm surrounded by entrepreneurs, but nobody is really in the wedding space. But I would, I would look at their business models and kind of go, right, how can I emulate that for my business? Or does that make sense for my industry? What can I learn from somebody who has, you know, service stations or somebody who is a designer or somebody who owns a, you know, tools company, for example? Like, what can I learn from all of these industries and how can I adapt that? to my own mm. um, but I'm have, I've never really had a consistent mentor I wish that I did um, but I have a lot of people that I look up to and I think that you know when you start a business and you don't really know that you're even starting a business mm. you the most important thing and I think a big tip here is kind of building your own board um, with people that you know that are hopefully you know smarter, smarter than you or have more contacts than you or are able to assist you in some which way. I have a lot of friends who, you know, I respect and I love. And I think that even though I haven't had a mentor per se, I have a board. I have a, I have an unofficial board of people that I go to, a board <laughs> of directors. 
that I can call upon and then vice versa. So I think that's really important. Mm. So what does your day, hundred percent, like without people like supporting you, then how are you actually going to to grow and find that motivation? You know, it's a very important thing. Um, so I'm curious yeah. to know, Wendy, like, what does your day sort of look like? Because you, you're a very, very busy lady. You got four kids. You got a husband. Yeah. You, you've got yeah three businesses, I believe. H- how do yeah. you how do you manage your time? Like, <laughs> I'm I'm curious to know what what does your day usually look like. Um. So normally I, the first thing that I do, I mean, the first thing that I do actually the night before is go through and make sure that I've responded to all emails for the following day. And I don't send them late at night, but I save them. So okay. it's the first thing that goes out in the morning. Um, I then jump on, we use Trello, we use Monday. Um, we, I go through um, everyone's boards to make sure that everyone's kind of organized for the following day. Um, I obviously my working from home is sort of different. My girls jump on a Zoom call and they send it over to me and I send them notes before that takes place. Um, I jump on, uh, the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, which is about 5am, I jump on Google Analytics. Um, I have a look at the analytics, um, across all of our socials to see what's happening. I have Google Trends and Alerts set up. So, I have a firm understanding of what people are searching for and how um, their behaviors, I guess, are shifting, if anything, from an alert perspective. And there are quite a number of alerts, actually, at the moment in regards to weddings. So it's important to understand what media is discussing out there mm. and how we can make that our own on Weddings Wonderland. Um, so I kind of listen to what the universe is doing and then um, make a plan for my day. And try and finish uh, my task. But for me, a lot of my, I'm very fortunate that my staff do a lot of the execution side of things. For me, it's all about the planning and ensuring that I'm driving. Mm. I've realized that because I, um, when I get into operational mode and when I'm executing, you know, the captain of the ship has left the boat (laughs) (laughs) and no one's driving, not getting anywhere. Everyone's working. Well, we're not actually moving. Mm. And that's happened a few times in my business. It's happened, you know, more times than I'd like to admit, um, especially with having four kids. Mm. Um, so you need to drive your ship and work out, okay, well, where am I actually going today? What is the result that I'm looking for? And how am I going to make... Also, my team feel like, especially now with everyone working from home, motivated to actually feel like they've done something by the end of the day. That's so mm. hard. So hard to do when you can't physically see people and interact with them. How how do you go about motivating your team, and what how do you go about creating a good team culture? That's been a, a massive challenge for me um, because I've I've hired really good teams who, you know, in the digital space, if you have someone for two years that works for you, you're a winner basically. Mm. So I've had a series of digital experts, a series of wedding experts, event experts who all come from very different backgrounds and have had to kind of work out how to how to get along and work together. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think what motivates the team and the kind of people that I hire is seeing that our customers and our clients are happy. 
mm. and getting that feedback. So for me, it's constantly, you know, asking the client what they're doing, how they're going, how they're progressing, and feeding that back to feeding that back to the team so they understand that they are actually, you know, making a big difference to somebody's business and essentially to someone's life. Mm. Um, we, you know, we're very fortunate that we're surrounded by creatives, so we we get to go to a lot of events. We get to create a lot of magic for people, um, which comes with a lot of pressure. But, you know, we're in a happy industry. Um, mm. And I think that, you know, that, that's the silver lining with anything that we do. But, you know, you can have, and I, I've had, you know, staff who have been quite challenging because I haven't been there to guide and assist them and mentor them because I'm, I, like I said, I kind of am one of those people that I'm go, go, go mm. day one. And I think if you have the schools, it's like, come on, you should be able to do this. What's going on? <laughs> um, I've briefed you. I've briefed you again. Um, and it's about understanding different people's modes of communication as well. Mm. I'm very visual. Um, and I think that, yeah, you know, if something's in front of you, you should see it, be able to run with it. But there are different people that communicate and, and learn differently. Um, and learning to adapt to that means that they will then feel more comfortable, I guess, um, communicating with you and understanding. And this is from a client perspective as well. Mm. And then collectively coming together as a team and having those team meetings, no matter how challenging it is to get everyone in the same room, you have to do it because it changes and it shifts the dynamic of your team once everyone's together and they feel like the captain's here, we're all in this together. We're at the same pace. We're actually driving forward. Let's rock and roll. Mm. You, you have to reflect and you have to do that with your team. And I learned, I, I had to learn that as I went because I was, like I said, and even now I'm looking back thinking, did we, you know, we did that amazing thing. Did I tell the team that they really did a great job, even though we celebrated and we did, but it's about really, really honing in on what the results of certain tasks and certain projects have been that they feel like, you know, there is a progression. Mm. I think that's how you build team culture is getting people excited, invested in what your ideas are and, and appreciating them and knowing that they're part of the group. Mm. That's good. That's really good, especially in, in today's day and age with what's going on as well. I think it's really Definitely. important to, to sort of keep them motivated because uh, most of them would be yeah. working from home. Um, and the fridge is like a couple hundred meters away usually. Exactly. <laughs> so it's very... Um, so in, in terms of like managing your clients, like how many on average does, does your team sort of work with or manage? In terms of number of clients? Yeah, not number of clients. And, and how do you provide, mm -hmm. how do you ensure you provide value to each of those clients and you, know, and you don't miss out on anything? Yeah. So, I mean, that's reporting um, and having the right measuring tools to be able to understand um, uh, results, mm. right? So I think, you know, last year this time, I mean, we host this event called Better Dwell, um, which we've done three years now. Um, this year, I don't think we'll be doing it. Generally, we do it in June or July. Um, and it was uh, last year we had it at the Hyatt Regency in Sydney. We had 250 exhibitors, over 500 subcontractors, 1,200 people attend. Wow. Um, and it was a four-hour event. And it's the largest luxury um, wedding event that takes place. And so this is another one of my COVID-19 projects. What are we doing with that as well? <laughs> um, but, um, you know, to have that many people in the room 
and ensure that everyone understands what the comms plan is and understand what the strategy is and understand what the you know um, lead generation process needs to look like and and how to engage with these clients you know all of those kinds of things like there are so many different things that we do um, but essentially you have to deliver um, consistency mm-hmm. so we put together a comms plan and we we actually have meetings with our exhibitors beforehand and say, right, guys, if you want to succeed at this event, you signed up for it. But in order to succeed, this is what your online strategy needs to look like. This is what your offering needs to look like on the night. This is how um, we're going to be talking about you and that's across the board. And then we basically go through and we ensure that we're doing that for each client. It's the same thing when it comes to a campaign. You know, I obsess over numbers and I say to my, um, my staff, like, we have to over-deliver. Because mm. if we were just to deliver, I'm sure there are other people out there that could just deliver, of right? Course. Yeah. Like, what are we going to do that is going to be memorable? What's going to be that surprise? What's going to be that takeaway? We over, I mean, on Friday, I said to one of my girls, we need to find a local influencer for one of our clients um, because they needed to um, push this new takeaway offering. And I said, get on it, you know. And I'm, I'm lucky that I have my, my, uh, to uh, agile and understand that you know during this time, like we don't wouldn't have if I need to find an influencer on a specific the way that because the mm. the post more and and uh, you know the client grew over 100 followers and got a few orders out and all. It's important to have um, measures in place and to be consistent. So, like I over communicate, mm. you will receive emails from me and messages and whatever it is that I need to do to get through to you to actually um, talk you through what's going on. But from a reporting standpoint, you can send like we send reports to our clients monthly. Wow. Um, some uh, 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 bi-weekly mm-hmm. and, uh, and they don't read them. Like <laughs> unless we act directly with business owners, we'll still want that checking phone call. So don't, you can never assume that even though you are communicating, it's actually being understood and received from the other side. Mm. And that's the lesson that I learned along the way as well. You know, I'm like, but we've done our job. We've set everything over. Everything's worked magically. But the business owner hasn't acknowledged it or gone, oh, yeah, yeah, I, can't, I think I know what you were doing. It's like, you have to, as from a business perspective, if you're wanting a dynamic conversation and interaction with the with your consumer, um, you need to, you know, you need to ask those open-ended questions. You need to get on the phone. You need to have those conversations mm. because, Never assume anything. No, I learned that the hard way. Too. Yeah, I think I think we all have to be honest, especially if you're yeah. in business. Yeah, I, I certainly have many yeah. many times. I think last year I almost lost a million dollar property because I was I was working in real estate and I didn't communicate properly to my detriment, um, yeah. and my boss had to step in and and sort of save my backside. As a result, and I sort of learned very quickly, okay, this is why communication is very important, um, especially when you're dealing with people's money, yeah. their livelihoods, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I learned I learned how to communicate 
quite well after that. Absolutely. <laughs> So, um, Wendy, I am very, very mindful of your time. I do have two more yeah, questions yeah. for you. Um, so my, my second last question is three bits of advice that you can give to someone sure. that is starting out in business or in life, they're struggling or just needing a boost. Uh, my advice is think about why you started and why you want this and whose life you're going to change as a result of introducing this product, this business, this offering to the universe. Mm. Um, I always talk about knowing, you know, every single person I believe um, has a has a feeling, has a certain point which they can get to, right? And they kind of go, if I get, you know, that, that's, that's my growth and I know that if I have, for example, sweated ones, I have 5,000 clients right now, then I would know that we would pretty much hit that point where that's what we can sustain and that's what we can maintain. So um, I think you need to think about how many people you actually want to work with, mm. um, who you want to be servicing, what kind of client are you looking for, how much time do you have for them, do you want to be transactional, do you want to have relationships, you know, um, have a look at every single type of business and be incredibly inquisitive um, online and offline. Like mm. I said earlier, like I walk into my, you know, a day spa and I start lecturing my, <laughs> my beautician, <laughs> uh, my therapist on, on, on social media strategy. Like if you don't talk about what you love, even in your downtime, it's not really what you love. Mm. So That's in good. order to identify that, you need to think about what you think about when you're at the gym, mm. what you think about when you're having dinner, what you're talking about, what you spend your downtime doing, that's actually your passion. Mm. That's what you essentially should be doing because that's what you were born to do. It's what your subconscious is telling you. You're just probably avoiding or, or ignoring it. Mm. And how to turn that into a business means, okay, how many other people out there are thinking this way? And how many, let me do some research. Let me find out if this product is actually available. What would people be willing to spend on it? How much would it cost me to, to get it out to market? You know, all of those kinds of questions. Again, you need to be incredibly inquisitive. You need to do a lot of research and you need to look outside of your industry. Mm. Um, I think there's so many people make the mistake of looking at competitors and thinking, well, they look amazing. How did they do that? And, you know, I don't know if I can ever get there. Don't. It's, that's not what it's about. It's about looking at people who are doing things completely differently um, because you're going to actually learn a lot about agility and you're going to learn about um, a different approach of, you know, getting into a particular market because you're going to take the approach of somebody who's in hospitality to get into the fashion industry, for example, mm. you know? So I think it's, it's that's what's going to to challenge you and I guess that's what's going to make you different and make you interesting and make you viable to a certain point but you have to have that intrinsic motivation it has to be something that you are obsessed with um, and something that you love because on those really 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 hard days um, you're going to ask yourself why and if the why is strong enough you're going to give up mm. I had someone so, tell me once he, he, he said to me he, he doesn't have a why he has a how he said, "If he can't tell himself how he's okay. able to get over this, then there's no point. Yeah, because he's like, with now, yeah. without the application of it, it just becomes a wish list. It just becomes exactly. Yeah. So that's it's fantasy and yeah. ignorance. Yeah. 
I think that's like and we can all fantasize. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. We I think we all can. Yeah. So like yeah. all those all those pieces of advice has got my brain like thinking a lot. <laughs> um, but I do have one Go more ahead. one more question. I know this is like usually surprisingly it's way past my bedtime, uh, and I know I'm still young. Okay. <laughs> but um, like I my brain just doesn't switch off. But um, anyway, I do have one question before you go, and that sure. is. What is your favorite film, your favorite actor, and the last film that you watched? Oh, dear. <laughs> um, okay, so favorite film. Well, this is such a hard one. Um, <laughs> Hardest question of the night. It is. It is. I, uh, well, one of, I mean, one of my favorite, uh, a recent film that I watched was one, um, Tiffany with uh, Audrey Hepburn. Yep. Classic. Um, that's probably the last one that I watched. Um, and I tend to watch, I tend, I'm a little bit of an old soul, so I tend to like, re, I will rewatch The Karate Kid and The Goonies. Oh, yes. And things like that. <laughs> yes, I'm with you on because that one. <laughs> I'm, I just, um, I like to kind of go to my happy place and I think, you know, <laughs> And as a child, um, watching those movies, it just brings back so many memories. Yeah. Um, so probably, oh, God, in terms of the most memorable and probably one movie that impacted me the most is probably The Goonies. Yep. Okay, um, good. <laughs> yeah. You know, because of the treasure hunt and, you know, the camaraderie and the fight against what was happening and all of those kinds of things. I think as a, as a kid watching that just made me feel like I could take over the world. Goonies never say die. And there was die. treasure somewhere. <laughs> and never, no. Um, and uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I love, I love Julia Roberts, mm. anything that she's in. You know, I've watched, and I'm such a wrong um, girl as well. So I recently watched My Best Friend's Wedding. <laughs> you know, all of those sort of Notting Hill, those sort of classics on such a sucker for movies like that. But I don't really like, I've got such a wild imagination. I can't actually watch horror movies. Nah, um, neither can I. I can't watch anything with suspense. Nothing with suspense. I'm one of those people. I watched, um, what was that movie, those movies that came out with the wolves and the, oh, what were they called? Um, the wolves? With the, uh, with the, yeah, the um Oh Twilight. Yeah, Twilight, Twilight. Yeah. I watched Twilight and my my um friends wanted to kick me out of cinema <laughs> because I was jumping <laughs> up and down and they were like, Wendy, you are so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> happening. And I'm like, so what's gonna happen? And so I was just like, yeah, this is way too much of my imagination. I can't do this. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't, I don't watch anything that's too, <laughs> too intense. That's, that's fair enough. Honestly, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even bother with horror movies. I hate them. I can't, I can't no, stand them. No. <laughs> yeah, that's like anything the worst with thing. Suspense, anything with, yeah, because I'll think about it for the next month. Yeah, you don't I sleep. Just, <laughs> it makes it I even don't, worse. I'm like, Yes, so my imagination is definitely is definitely wild now. <laughs> That's funny. Well, Wendy, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I, I, I am very mindful of your time, so I will let you go. Um, but thank you so thank much you. for coming on the Storybox podcast, sharing your, your your knowledge, your wisdom, 
and your experience with us as well as your stories. Really do appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to listen back. I don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it will go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.